Yesterday, I had the privilege of officiating a wedding here in town. It was the first wedding that I've done for one of my former youth in all the years that I've done youth ministry. Uh, he and his fiance had planned a large gathering of 200 plus guests, but of course, with everything surrounding COVID-19 and the restrictions, it ended up being a small family wedding here at Chitola. The groom was dressed in his lovely tuxedo. The bride was beautifully dressed in her flowing white gown. And a colorful display of flowers adorned the arches that were around us, and the spirit of love filled our hearts as two became one in the presence of God and before their families. Love is patient Love is kind. You know the scriptures from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's probably the most read scripture at all weddings. And it paints a picture of what love is and what love is not and how we are to show love towards one another. It's especially fitting for a wedding service. It reminds those who profess love for one another how to love one another as they enter into the covenant of marriage. And yet this passage of Scripture was never set in the context of a wedding ceremony, nor did the Apostle Paul have any idea that his words would predominantly be used for them. You see, we have often misunderstood this passage of Scripture as it deals with its specific historical context. It's not that we've misused it because we can never preach enough about loving one another, but we tend to limit its focus to a marriage relationship. Certainly it speaks to our marriages, but it's so much more than that. And so we began our reading today at the end of chapter 12, in which Paul continues his thoughts on being the body of Christ, and that each person is an important part of it. His message in chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts, these gifts that are given by God to every believer to work together to build up the church and to share his good news everywhere. The point is that we're all given different gifts and that each gift matters. One is not above another. But we also recognize that we're stubborn, sinful human beings who often compare ourselves to one another, creating a sense of superiority or inferiority. As Paul is addressing this very problem in the church in Corinth. There were assumptions that some gifts were greater than others. In fact, many believed that speaking in tongues was the greatest gift one could possibly have. Now, on Pentecost Sunday, we talked about the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit and that they went out of the house and into the streets and they began speaking in various kinds of tongues. The tongues they were speaking in were native languages, speaking a foreign language that they couldn't speak on their own with the help of the Holy Spirit. And this is one manifestation of the gift of the Spirit. But this is not the speaking in tongues that the Corinthians were speaking of. They were talking about speaking in the tongues of angels, a heavenly communication with God that couldn't be understood by human beings unless the Spirit provided someone with the gift of interpretation. This gift was more individualized and personal, and many thought that this was the gift of all gifts, and those who had it assumed a higher favor with God. They also thought that the gift of prophecy was more important, too. And every other spiritual gift was seen as secondary in comparison to tongues and to prophecy. So what does Paul do? Well, 
he seeks to correct their understanding through his instruction. He tells them, God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Did you notice what Paul did there with what he wrote? You see, he gives an order of gifts, and rather than placing speaking in tongues at the top of that list, he actually reverses the order and puts it at the very bottom. And he intentionally does this to reverse their understanding of what they think the greatest spiritual gift is. And then he takes it even a step further by showing them the most excellent way. So he goes on to say, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. According to Paul, love is the glue that binds every spiritual gift together. And love should be the motivating factor that prompts us to use our gifts, not to our own glory, but to the glory of God. And he says that speaking in tongues is irrelevant if it's not done with love. Offering a prophetic voice or exhibiting great knowledge or even having a great faith that can move mountains is irrelevant if love doesn't guide and direct it. Social justice is good work. But if it's not motivated by love, then it's just another act of generosity. And so Paul uses himself as an example in this, saying, if I, because he knows that they know that he has these gifts. Essentially, he's telling them that they're not to use their spiritual gifts to be self-serving or self-promoting. He wants them to see their God-given gifts through the lens of God's love. In fact, loving one another is more important than speaking in tongues or prophetic messages, according to Paul. And this is exactly what Jesus teaches his disciples on what we call Maundy Thursday. Maundy simply means mandate, and Jesus mandates love to them. After washing his disciples' feet, uh, Jesus tells them this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is defined by Jesus' love for them. And the word in Greek is agape, and it represents a sacrificial and unconditional love. It's not a brotherly love. It's not a romantic love. It's the greatest love that we could have for each other. But this love is not something we can merely do on our own. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit imparted to us. And this love puts others first, just like Jesus did in his ministry and ultimately in his sacrificial death on the cross. 
Jesus later affirms this again on the same night with his disciples in John 15, verses 12 and 13, saying, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Agape love, sacrificial love. This is the same word that Paul uses nine times within our passage today. And Paul is holding the church accountable for not utilizing the greatest gift of the Spirit, God's love. For this love is patient, it is kind, content, humble, honorable, selfless and joyful, truthful, protecting, trusting, hopeful, persevering, and it always sees the best in others. They make no mistake about it. The Corinthians did not receive these words as a beautiful soliloquy. You see, Paul tells them lovingly that they have not loved rightly. Kindness and patience were lacking. Envy and boasting and self-seeking were real problems there in the church. And according to Paul, their religious speech is worthless if it is not shared in love. And these gifts that they want to boast about, speaking in tongues and and being able to give prophetic messages, eventually they will cease. But love, God's love, will never end. See, I think this is really important for us as the church of Jesus Christ today. God's love never fails. It never ends, even when we fail to share it as we should. Paul reminds us that sometimes the church has to take a hard look in the mirror to see what others see. We can easily revert to childish ways, allowing ourselves to compete with one another and to bicker over getting our own way. And being born into sin means that we are born with selfish tendencies. When I was serving in the church in Spartanburg, South Carolina, Two Mormon missionaries greeted me at my door at my home on my day off. I invited them to come in and spend a good deal of time talking with them. And before they left, I invited them to have dinner with Angela and I uh, the following week. They were surprised and caught off guard by my invitation because they're generally ignored or yelled at or maybe even chased off someone's property by their dog. Nonetheless, they accepted my offer, and we enjoyed a meal and conversation around the table together. Now, at that time, Brennan was about eight months old and was sitting up in his high chair. We'd given him something to eat, and he had his sippy cup sitting there. But he started pitching a fit and got angry because he didn't like what we had given him, and he threw his sippy cup right into the floor. And in that moment, I looked immediately over at my Mormon friends, and I asked them if they still refused to believe in original sin. You see, Angela and I did not teach him to do that. That was innate within him. He was born into it. And that's the way that children act. The world revolves around them. But sometimes adults can act the same way, reverting back to our childhood. Paul tells us, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. We have to put our childish ways behind us to grow up and to be mature people of faith. We have to use our spiritual gifts in ways guided by love, which means that we focus more on giving than we do on receiving. 
And true love is not telling others that we love them. That's a good thing. But true love is putting our love into action, the ways that we put our needs aside and seek the needs and concerns of others. It's not always about being right. It's not always about allowing our differences to separate us. And it's not always forcing our own way on others. You know, I could have ignored those Mormon missionaries when they knocked on my door. I happened to be in the middle of working on my seminary homework that was due the next day. But the Holy Spirit prompted me to open the door and to open up my home. And I recognize that there are theological differences that separate us. But I respectfully gave them time to share. And together we talked civilly for two hours together. I didn't force anything on them, but I I wanted them to know that Christians are actually loving people. And there are many Christians that they knock on the doors of who tell them to go away or who refuse to acknowledge them. And honestly, I think that they came to realize this during our time together, but especially when we gathered around the table for dinner together. In fact, before they were reassigned to a new location, they actually came all the way back to our house to greet Angela and I and to thank us for the hospitality that we had shown them and to wish us well. I've never forgotten that. Because I believe that when we love one another as God loves us, that real transformation can take place. Jackie DeShannon sings the song, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone find that those words couldn't be truer than now. You and I see the ugliness every day, whether it's on the news or on our social media feeds. Our partisan politics has forced Jesus to become a Republican or a Democrat in our own eyes. And in the midst of all the racial tension that people are pushing and bullying one another to say something or to be labeled as a racist... Even good intentions can become self-seeking and self-promoting. Love becomes distorted and conditional and limited to who thinks like us or who shares our same beliefs and values. I've seen Christians that I know writing on their social media posts, if you don't agree with me, then I have no use for you. Why would you be using someone anyway? Certainly there's no love in that. Paul's words today encourage us to seek the greatest gift of God's sacrificial love and to put it into practice to combat our childish and sinful ways that create division and discord. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said in his sermon on loving your enemies, returning hate for hate multiplies hate adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. What the world needs now is love. God's 
loved. And we can't simply ask God to rain it down from the heavens and force people to get it, because if it's forced, it isn't love. Instead, he has gifted us with his love, and he calls us to love one another as he loves us. And although this passage of Scripture wasn't intended as a part of a wedding homily, I do believe that Paul is seeking to unite the church to be one as we bear witness to God's unconditional and sacrificial love for us. And in doing so, God's love guides the right use of our spiritual gifts to serve everyone to the glory of God. As Paul says, these three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It's exactly what the world needs. So friends, may we freely share God's love this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.